Welcome to Crossing Over, a conversation where we look and listen with curiosity for God's presence in the stories of sacred scripture and in our own lives. I'm Sarah Nichols. And I'm Daniel Lucas. Okay, how you doing? I'm good. How are you this morning? <sighs> Caffeinated. <laughs> it's yeah. always a major part of the morning, in my opinion. The fires and just some other life stuff. I'm not sleeping super duper well, so I'm, I'm running on caffeine, <laughs> which is fine for a time. Yeah. Uh, we are going to, well, what do we, you tell me what we're doing today. Uh, we are going to start into Psalm 119. Um, it's a long one. It's a doozy. It's a doozy. Um, so we are kind of our plan right now is that this is where we're going to land for the summer and we're going to work our way through. Yeah. Yeah. All hundred and what is it? Uh, it's eight times 22. So I think that's 176. Because it's an acrostic psalm, so every eight verses, yep. the, the line, you know, it can be difficult to know where the lines in scripture, especially. But I think it's in the Greek too. But I, I, learned, I know less about it. But the verse numbers and even the sentence structure sometimes is um, arbitrarily decided or is based on tradition. Mm -hmm. I yep. was just talking with somebody yesterday about um, the Red Sea and how you know it's the sea, it's the Sea of Reeds or it's the Reed Sea. But there's a mistranslation. Yeah, but the mistranslation is so old that it's just like, well, let's right. just accept it. Because if you, right. you want to be specific and be like, the Sea of Reeds, no one knows what you're talking about. Right. So you yeah. go to a modern translation and yep. it's not rare for them to maybe have a note saying, but they'll say Red Sea. Right. <laughs> Even though it's Yam Suf. Right. The yeah. Sea of Red Reeds. <laughs> yep. Uh, okay. So um, why are we talking about that? Because of the way that Psalm 119 is broken up poetically. And Alter, Robert Alter has a, a, done a really good job because he actually puts like the Aleph and the Bet. And so you actually can see where those breaks are. Yeah. Because, um, and some translators, um, some translations do that really well and others don't. Yeah, sometimes don't. you'll see it in there like Alter does. And leave, mm -hmm. mine, I think you do see, yeah, I've got an NRSV and it's broken up every eight. Yeah. But it doesn't illustrate that that's oh this is the alef the the bet of the, the various sections yeah so okay so before we well yeah let's do this so it's the longest psalm yep. 176 verses uh which is eight times the letter it's eight lines per hebrew letters uh it's home to some great one-liners uh like thy word is a lamp unto my feet you know mm -hmm. Amy Grant. And the uh, light unto my path. Yeah, right. I could have, should have sang it. <sighs> um, yeah. And it's intimidating and avoided because it's how long it is. Mm -hmm. You know, unless you feel fine cherry picking it. A verse out, which is, I don't have a problem with, but it's not one of those ones you sit down and usually read in a sitting. Right. So it's, 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 that's it. That's this. And so the idea is we'll move through it, see how it works, try to connect it to the stories because... That's one of the great things about the Psalms. Uh, for me, they function as this nexus um, where they they tell they they add like an emotional 
layer to some of the stories. Like a lot of them get named, like David saying this when Saul was chasing him or when uh, Absalom was chasing him. Or <laughs> Yeah, it's just, I mean, it's just like how songs work in modern day. Mm-hmm. People write and sing songs about what is happening in their lives and in right. the world around them. And that's, these are songs. Right. And then the next, but then what's really fun, and you see this happen too, is on like while that happens, then the next generation comes along and claims it for their own, reinterpreting it or or embodying it in the various ways you embody it. And so then you have, you know, Psalm 22. We talked about that a few weeks ago, right? You have Psalm 22 where you have Jesus bringing Psalm 22 into the moment of his his death and his crucifixion. And now it's suddenly a, a whole different, but not different thing. So it's this cool nexus where it's like, man, you can, you can go so many places and so many hyperlinks flow through here. Yeah. Which is why I use the word nexus. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay. So what do you, maybe let's just do a little bit about the Psalms. What do you know? What do you think of? What comes to mind? What's important w- with the Psalms uh, for you? I think that the the way I grew up with the Psalms, they always felt a little bit secondary or even tertiary to the story of Jesus. Um, so like if there was a, an order of importance, like you needed to read, make sure you were reading the Gospels sure. or maybe Paul. Um, every day, something from the New Testament. And then, you know, if you have time, it's ideal if you, you know, read something from the Old Testament and maybe mm. throw in a psalm. Um, and I know that's not everyone's experience. I mean, sure. some people I know who one of their reading goals or whatever is to read a psalm every day, a psalm or a proverb or something. Um, I've never been the most into poetry, like just in general. I'm trying to. Uh, nurture more of a of an appreciation for it now as I have gotten older. Why? Um, because I think there's a lot in there that I'm just missing. Hmm. So, um, hmm. but it as a child and teen and young adult, it never it, poet poetry never spoke to me in that way. Like I didn't enjoy sitting down reading a book of poetry. Inefficient. That's probably. Yeah, for me, sure. was part of it. Um, as I've gotten older, I can appreciate it more. Um, it's like I can read poetry and be like, oh, that's beautiful. Mm. Whereas when my younger self would have been like, Meh. Sure. Contem- I mean, poetry is contemplative. Yeah. So, uh, you know, of course, um, you know, you, c- contemplation is usually grown into it. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that checks out for me. I mean, I feel like one of the things I've said the most to children is, are you thinking about what you're doing? <laughs> Not those exact words, but the, but so many things yeah. are like, hey, have you thought this through? Which is just another way of saying, have you, have you contemplated this? Have right. you, have you, you know, have you meditated upon your actions and their potential consequences? Yeah. And I've also wondered if, I mean, I think maybe... I know it's not true for everyone because some people love poetry from the time they're young, but th- it can be harder to actually make sense of it and understand it when yeah. you have less life experience. And so um, 
maybe the connections and um, things that the poet is trying to do and draw out of us aren't as a, they just weren't as apparent to me. Sure. And so um, that was hard. And, but at the same time, I loved, I've always loved singing worship music and stuff. So it's like, well, why would, it feels like Psalms ought to have been a natural thing that I would have liked because I do love music and I, and I like that, but it maybe because they weren't, I only liked the Psalms that had been set to music and were sung in my church. <laughs> <laughs> I've been the last couple, well, for probably 10 years, I've been uh, attempting to learn how to chant the Psalms. Ooh. And so the last couple months, I've been spending a little bit more time in it with my goal being to be able to, so the Psalms are part of my daily prayer habit. Mm -hmm. um, and I would love to be able to chant them because I love, I, I love music. Music is such a, has been and always, it is such a huge part of life for me. And you, you can, uh, music forces contemplation. It, you know, like yeah. you, sing, you can sing the same line over a couple times where if you are talking or preaching or whatever and you say the same line over and over, people are like, hello, hello, <laughs> are you stuck? Did you, um, I can't decide if I want to, if I want to share it. I don't think I, I don't think I will right now. Uh, but So at the end of the summer, are you going to chant all of Psalm 119 for us? Happy are those whose way is blameless. <laughs> Who walk in the law of the Lord. Happy are those who keep his decrees. Who seek him with their whole heart. You know, I mean. Yeah. I don't know. I got mixed feelings. <laughs> I wasn't going to do it, but I'm like, uh, okay. So can we do one other thing quickly, like as an overview of the Psalms, and then we'll actually dive into Psalm 119. Yeah. Go, we go to Psalm 137. Um, there's something so peculiar uh, about the Psalms that I think it's really helpful. To... <laughs> what are you laughing at? And what are you laughing at? I'm laughing at he you just... seeing Psalm 137 <laughs> and laughing and assuming you see you, you you. So what? Okay. So what? What made you go? <laughs> I mean, you didn't Santa laugh. That's why. no. I just. Um, I mean, by Babylon's streams. So it just. Takes me to the prophets. Okay, right. So, so immediately Psalm one thirty seven. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe this is going to be a Psalm one thirty seven conversation. Psalm one thirty seven. So immediately we've got the hyperlinks going on. Yeah, and uh, there is a particular prophet who finds himself by a river in 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 Babylon at the very beginning of of what we have from from them. Do you do you recall? <laughs> Um, I mean, it sounds like Jeremiah to me. Oh, sure, but sure. It, it could be Isaiah. It's uh, Ezekiel. Oh, Ezekiel. Yeah. Dang it. In the 13th I'm year of the failing. fourth month on the fifth day of the month, I was among the exiles by the river Hebar. Oh. The heavens were opened and I saw um, visions of God. Mm. So Ezekiel starts the way Psalm 137 yeah. starts. So immediately we're swimming in these rapids of scripture where they're talking to each other. They're like the toys in Toy Story, right? When 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 you when the humans leave the room, um, but it's the inverse of that. It's we see the connections; they come alive when we go. Hey, Ezekiel and yeah. Psalm one thirty seven are talking to each other. What's going mm -hmm. on here? Um, but surely, uh, surely Jeremiah and Isaiah are in the same. They're in the same conversation, uh, and. We, 
Yeah. So, but so Psalm 137 does that. And then Psalm 137 also ends in a deeply troubling way. <laughs> yeah. You want to read that? <laughs> Happy who seizes and smashes your infants against the rock. So Praise the, the Lord, Salah. Right. <laughs> no. So then the question is, what is that doing in there? Yeah. Yeah. And what is that? What is the presence of those words have to say to us about what scripture is and what scripture isn't? Mm-hmm. For, you know, for most of scripture, most of the New Testament and the Old Testament, not all of it, surely not all of it, but most of it has us looking for the voice of God speaking to us. Right. Right, we we are encouraged when we see someone like Abram say yes to to listen to the voice of God that Abram hears to to lech lecha, to go to a land that God will show him. We go yes, um, but here we've got something else happening where where it, there's no setup here. There's no correction. The story, right? It's not like the Hagar story where we go, oh, Brahm and Sarai are struggling to live in faithfulness. This just stands alone. And so this is one of those verses where you're like, what is going on here? Is scripture, no, is scripture endorsing this? I mean, no. Of course not. I hear this and I think this is raw. This is from the heart and from... Like how all of us, and there's moments in our lives where we're like, oh my gosh, like, I mean, silly example, but like when you see an idiot driving around on the freeway and he's weaving in and out of traffic and stuff, and there's a part of you that's like, that crosses your mind. I hope that this guy gets in an accident, but that no one else is involved. So he doesn't hurt anybody else. But you're like, you, or I hope this guy gets pulled over by a cop. Like you want that feels like justice in the moment to you to yeah. see when you see someone misbehaving so badly and acting so dangerously and recklessly, you you kind of hope that they get caught or that something happens so that they learn their lesson. Right. And, and the thing that's in there is there's an emotional response because usually when somebody's driving that way and I feel that way, it's because I feel unsafe. I feel threatened. Yeah. And so suddenly I'm like, I have all of these feelings yep. that need some resolve or some engagement with, and it would feel, there's a broken part of me that would feel some resolve if they got in trouble and were held accountable for how they, how they made me feel bad. Right. I mean, that's just honest right yeah. that's what's i think like that's the that's kind of what we're seeing right here right it's raw and on one level it it teaches us that we get to be honest and right it could sort of codifies for us like it gives you the thumbs up and gives you permission to be honest with god right because if you can say this what can what can you not say yeah but then if you take it a, even a step a little deeper into it um and this is my favorite one when I get into conversations with people who think about scripture and deeply fundamental, kind of fundamentalist in a in an unalive literal way. If okay, yeah. all right, all scripture is God breathed. I'll go, I'll see you that. Uh, and by the way, I agree with that. I just usually don't. Right, I just don't usually. You do not think it means what you think it means. Yeah, right. Inerrancy, inspired, infallibility. uh, I can get my head around those words and find ways that those those are true descriptors of Scripture. But what the evangelical meaning of those words, I, I, I usually am not like. I I don't think you know. I don't think it looks like that. But if it is, let's just say it is. Then what do you do with this? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I and I I love that Scripture 
uh, that as this moment is inspired. It's an inspired thing for for the human voice to speak. I mean, like, just stop right there and go. Because, like, most of, I think it's Augustine that says this. Most of scripture speaks to us and the Psalms are our voice. Like, almost all of the Psalms are the humans speaking and declaring and they are called listen to they're invoked in the new testament at the same if not more than the other scriptures right so you have this way in which the humanity is and the words of humanity are inspired and even even the difficult words are can i read robert alter's note on yeah, this because yeah. it's fantastic yeah so he says about that line no moral justification can be offered for this notorious uh, concluding line all one can do is recall the background of the outrage felt, uh, outrage feeling that triggers the conclusion. The Babylonians have laid waste to Jerusalem, exiled much of its population, looted and massacred. The powerless captives, ordered perhaps mockingly to sing their Zion songs, respond instead with a lament that is not really a song and ends with this blood-curdling curse pronounced on their captors. Who, who, who fortunately do not understand the Hebrew in which it is pronounced. So it's, um, that feels so much different to me than like taking this at like, this is what God wants for it's, no, this is their heartfelt response in a moment when, I mean, think of yourself being ripped from your home and then the people who did that are asking you to sing songs about how great your home is as you're being drug away from it. Right. And have just watched people be massacred and your homes destroyed and your city destroyed. And then you're asked to sing a song of praise about this city as you're being drug away into captivity. Their response instead is like, no, that's not what we will sing. Right. And um, I mean, it reminds me of some of the slave songs that now that now we have the in on that some of them were very subversive but sure. they did so in language i mean even though it was english but they they sang these songs often in a way that was a, it was their way of rebelling against their captors in the only way they could right so this is this is something that generations do have to do yeah yeah uh, there's um there's some there's some uh, I don't even know what to call them. Um, uh, the best and the brightest are who who the Babylonians pulled into captivity. Yeah. So right. So who do you who do you build an empire with? The people who can count and who can read and know how to run civilization. Right. And so you've got an Ezekiel. So you've got the you've got and that's by the way that's priests. That's the right. That's the not just the royalty. Um, but it's the priests, it's the prophets. And so Ezekiel, who is also a priest uh, and a prophet, is one of those who's pulled into uh, into captivity, right? So they've left, and I love how this works. It's uh, You can find it in 2 Kings 24, 14 and Jeremiah 39, 10. Because Jeremiah is definitely part of this conversation. Yep. He's talking about it be- before and as and, you know, sort of in process while Ezekiel, they're there when he starts prophesying. Um, so, but, uh, uh, it's, it is the meek who inherit the land. Literally mm-hmm. the, the beatitude yeah. is, it happens thousand years before 800 years, 700 years before Jesus teaches the beatitudes. Yeah. Well, there's, I mean, there's two things that a, 
so if you're Babylon, you don't want to leave behind the the upper class and those that those that have been trained in leadership and that know all these things because then you're more likely to have rebellion. If you leave behind those that are uneducated and can't read, they can't, they don't know how to to run a kingdom, then they're reliant upon you. Right. And so you take their best and brightest not only because it helps you in your capital city, but because it also leaves the people without leadership. Right. Um, yeah. I mean, there's that's right. That's and, a big piece of it. And when you start digging into the prophets, what you find is it's the action of the wealthy and the educated and those in power. Yeah. That is what precipitates the the exile, at least from a spiritual imagination, a view of this, right? The the, the view of the prophet yeah. and the view of the Lord is that uh, Babylon is the uh, – I like to put this in terms of like um, a stovetop, right? Because if you, if you do it as like God saw you playing with matches, so now he's going to burn you with a cigarette, which I think that might be a little graphic – but that's how we – that's how a lot of us think what happens here. Like God saw the kids playing with matches and he's like, I told you not to play with matches. And he's like, come here. And like lights a match and like hold your hand over the match. And so you, because you were bad, God's going to make you feel bad. He's going to hurt you to teach you a lesson. And I think you're shaking your head because it's terrible. Right? Yeah, but it's also like we talked about this briefly in Hagar discussion last week that um, shoot, it's Hosea. I believe that I will take Israel into the wilderness to speak tenderly to her. Like the reason they're being taken out is and exiled is so it's so similar to what happens with Hagar. Like for her, it's this brief little interlude in her life. This is going to be 70 years. This is a right. bigger deal. But the whole purpose of being removed from the situation where one has acted poorly is so that you can be taught how to act properly and rightly. And so that you can then return. Right. Right. It's like, it's the gift of pain where when you touch a hot stove, you're allowed to feel the harm you're doing. Yeah. So that you can stop doing that harm to yourself, which by the way, God's not dealing with individuals in scripture. God is dealing, like we're the- It's a community. It's a, Right, it's an us, it's a we. So when you harm the poor, you harm yourself. And we all actually know this, right? When we all do better, when we all do better. The, you know, it's, everything is better when we're, so, uh, um, yeah. I mean, we're, right, we've just done the nexus thing. Yeah. We've been to the Beatitudes, we've been to Ezekiel, we've been to Isaiah, we've been to Jeremiah. Oh, and by the way, in Jeremiah, right, the verse that's oft quoted this time of year, the season of graduations, of matriculations. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Which is true. God does know what God has for us. But we think about that and we, well, I had thought about that in terms of like, which, which major shall I major in? See, now that makes me wish we had done Jeremiah 20. <laughs> well... We just I'm, did. Well, yeah, I know. But there's like, you can really dig into that. And what's, it's not that it's not saying, I know the plans I have for you and the way that we want to use it today. Right. But it's also not saying that because it's saying this to an entire community that's in exile. Like it's, there's so much more going on there than, um, yeah. Yeah. He's, this is, 2911 is Jeremiah. This, this is what happens when you do the Psalms. So Jeremiah is writing. Uh, and he says, for thus says the Lord, uh, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed, 
will I visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place for surely I know the plans, right? You, we always start at for surely I know the plans I have for you. <laughs> but before that is, you know, and, but then the plans are for welfare and, uh, and for not, not for harm and to give you a hope. And it's this beautiful invitation that they will be, uh, that they'll be restored. Yeah. But it's, it's, but it all takes place within 70 years of being exiled. Like that's right. I don't know a lot of college or high school graduates that would appreciate the message that, you know, it might be 70 years, but my plans ultimately are for you. I, uh, yeah. Well, and before that, right. The before Jeremiah 29, 11 is the invitation that, you know, while you're there, this is what God wants. This is what God is saying to the people while they're in exile. Mm-hmm. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat what they produce. Intermarry, by the way, take sons, uh, sorry, take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you as exiles. Ah! Which is, I, I've always found that so interesting because when they enter Canaan, they're explicitly told to not intermarry. And so, um, well, which one is it? Are we supposed to intermarry or not intermarry? And it's just, well, it's situational. Well, okay. And there are some people who will hear us say that and go, yeah, what that means here is just don't be depressed and feel darkly about the prospects of life and continue giving your sons and daughters in marriage to each to other, to other exiles. Sure. Uh, it, you know, my, my, I would say that doesn't need say, that doesn't need stating. Yeah. Right. This is the spirit of this is participate in the place where you are. Right. Live the, live your life there. Yeah. <laughs> so what, okay. So we went to Psalm 137 <laughs> For for a purpose, and the purpose was to recognize that that scriptures. Well, this was my purpose in going there. Um, part of what's inspired in scripture is the emotional truths that we find ourselves living in that may not be actual factual realities that should be enacted, but we want to say out loud the dark things in our heart to God. Does God know our hearts? Yes, but saying them out loud is does something else. It helps us, you know, hear and know ourselves. So we started, that was the whole point to, you know, yeah. but now we went to Ezekiel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, first, uh, second Kings, uh, where else? The Beatitudes. Beatitudes. I mean, this is the nexus. Yeah. Uh, ah, boy. Okay. I guess, should we go into Psalm 119? Let's go. All right. Will you read? So, okay. So the idea here is to do just the first verse of Psalm 119, um, but we can go wherever. Okay. So, will you? Uh, do you have a couple versions, or just the, just altar? I just have altar in front of me today. Okay, that's fine. That's yeah. good. Um, not that we have a lack of Bibles in this office, but I mean, I have, I have like five versions of the Psalms right here. <laughs> um, so just first one. Sure. Okay. Happy whose way is blameless, who walk in the Lord's teaching. Verse. Verse Psalm, one. Psalm 119, verse, verse one. Uh, I have uh, Rabbi Zalman here, his translation. He says, blissful are they who walk in the way of Yah's Torah. 
and then a uh, another one called uh, the Complete Psalms. And uh, joyful are those whose path is complete, who walk mm. in your teaching. And then Rabbi uh, Hirsch, who I've who have brought up before, who you know my Hebrew tutor warns me of. Uh, not that he's bad; he has his books on his shelf. But I think when he sees me pull them down. He's like, listen, you haven't done enough work yet yeah. to break the rules like Hirsch does. You have to learn the rules before you can break them. So, yeah, Hirsch is like advanced. Right, right. And Hirsch is saying he's an some, AP course. <laughs> right. And I always like to dive into the deep end, but Hirsch doesn't do any of those joyful, blissful, happy, or blessed, mm-hmm. which we, we'll, we'll touch on here. He says, forward stride those who are of moral integrity mm. in their way of life, who walk in the law of God. Oh. Right. I like that so much better. Yeah, me me too. I really like that. So what I would like to do is, actually, just that verse, I want to talk about uh, at least three of the words there. Okay. All right. So um, the first word in the verse is, uh, is <clears throat> I'm going to make sure I pronounce it right, uh, ashrei. Yeah. So aleph, uh, shin, resh. And what you got some stuff nope. there on it? Do you know some stuff on it? Nope. So it's the, it's the first it's the first word of Psalm one. Yep, and it's this really um, interesting word that has all these Hebrew roots and words are really interesting. But um, this one is one of two words used for that is translated that can be and is translated as blessed. Yep. So a, a you know a sure or a share, and then the other one is you know the other one right, the other word for bless. Oh. Um. Oh my gosh. Barak. Yeah, there you go. Sorry. <laughs> I had to like scroll through my Hebrew library in my I, head. I almost went Obama. Like, uh, so, so w- with Barak or Bar- Baruch, Baruch. Baruch, Baruch mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, what's really curious about that word is it's only ever used in connection. It It's in, con- it's used in connection. Um, it's used in connection with God. So, so this word here that we'll translate as blessed ashray mm-hmm. is only used about humans. So oh, okay. when you talk, when you're, when you're blessing God, so Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, forget none of his benefits. The bless there is, is, is Barak, Baruch, you know, um, but when we get here to, you know, happy are those who, or blissful are those, or joyful are those, it's ashray. And so ashray is reserved for humans. Humans are the only ones who are ever described with, or this happens. And God doesn't ever uh, bid ashray to human beings. God baruchs human beings. Yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. So this isn't from, this isn't a blessing from God. This right. is something different. Right. This is something absolutely different. Yep. And and the the word has a a couple different ways trajectories uh nuances that don't at first seem to be um the same thing and we saw it in the translations right there's one version of it that's blessed happy um blissful mm-hmm. joyful uh it's the the greek equivalent of this word is makarios which is miracle? Uh, no, no, no. Oh. Beatitude. It's the blessed. It's the blessed oh, from sure. the beatitudes, right? Okay. So that so this is this is the word. Well, I felt like it sounds like this whole this whole first section of this of this psalm yeah. sounds a lot like the beatitudes. T- totally does. Yeah. Totally does. And Eugene Peterson wanted to translate that Greek word makarios um, as for, as fortunate or lucky. Mm. 
and he uh, he wanted to do lucky i think he just does it fortunate other places but there was some disagreement with somebody at the publishing house that you couldn't use the word lucky in scripture because lucky has all of these things embedded in it that you know might have to do with gambling or uh, i think there's a I'll, I'll attach the clip but um the exact phrase that peterson uses to describe the opposition was that it had to do with lucifer <laughs> lucifer is lucky um yeah okay i mean uh, Peterson yeah. wanted to use the word. It right. was. It was. No, those no, within. I get. I get it. I yeah. mean, he's. I love Eugene. Peter, Me too. Like he's. So Ashray is this thing, this this blessed life, or this happy life, or this blissful life, or this joyful life that doesn't. It isn't um, coming about from God's blessing. Now I'm not saying it's coming apart from God, but it's not coming. But it's coming some other way, which pushes to another way you can translate this word, which is how Hirsch does it, forward stride. So Aleph Shin Reish has a um, a form to it that is about walking. Yeah, I, I have dug into the root and it, to go straight, to walk, to go on, advance, make progress. Right. So we're immediately mm-hmm. talking about like with that one word and the range that it can have. And then in the sort of the, the various layers that connect to it, we're, we're immediately, pun intended, stepping into this idea that how we live will connect with what our lives, the experience of our lives are like to us and to others around us. Thoughts? Any? I mean, part of me is like, of course, of course, the way we live impacts those around us. And yet we often make decisions as if it doesn't. We want to think that our decisions and choices only impact ourselves and maybe our immediate family. Um, and some decisions do. But ultimately, the way we choose to live our life impacts everyone around us. And there's ripple effects that go out to the world. And especially when you think about how communal Hebrew is and the the society at this time. Yeah. I mean, this is the whole, the whole reason that the exile happens is because the ripple effect of not being led well leads to the the whole of the people not living in the land well. Right. It's the I mean, to jump back to Deuteronomy, when they have instructions about like they're gonna ask for a king and then this is gonna be the king's job. The king's job is to know the Torah. Right. That's it, essentially. Because if the king knows the Torah, he brings the Torah to the people and that's the ultimately the only thing that matters in society. And then they live life well. Because all the rules about how to exist as a society are in the Torah. And that's one of the words in here. The law of God or the law, of the, 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 it's, it's the yod vav yep. It's the, the name from Exodus 3. Um, but it's the bitarat. In the laws right. or the teachings. The teachings, the ways. Yep. I, one of the ways I've been meditating on this, considering it, has been recognizing that, that a good life comes from two different places. Mm. Um, there, is, there is the good in life that comes from God to us. That's underneath any good we'll experience, right? It's, it's the foundational good, mm-hmm. um, and I think there we, we're we're talking about, you know, the uh, baruch, uh, we're, right? We're talking about the that blessing. But there's also another blessing that comes by way of how we live. Um, by you know, I can be a blessing and I can experience blessing in connection 
to how I live and not as a reward because I mean, right, we're talking already, we're, we all, we've already been talking about stages of life that aren't going well. We're talking about exile. We're talking about Psalm 137. We're talking about Ezekiel. So like take Ezekiel for a, a moment. If he would have chosen while he was in exile to not step into good future things that God had for him, we, you and I, <laughs> we would all be deprived. The people alive today would be deprived of, of, of the wonder that is the book of Ezekiel, of his, mm-hmm. of his, Seeing the the valley of dry bones, can these bones walk? All of these things would would be a good we don't ha- we wouldn't have. Yeah, um, that he didn't have to respond in a in a way of life well to give us that. Yeah. What I'm, are you thinking? I I'm just looking at this, thinking, of course. <laughs> I, it, I've got it pulled up in the interlinear so that I can see the Hebrew as it reads and then with the English words. And if you just don't, if you don't do a lot to try and fluff it up to make it make more sense in English, you just have blessed are the undefiled in the way who walk in the law of the Lord or in the Torah of the Lord. So like, well, duh, like this is what, (laughs) this is what God tells them all through Deuteronomy and like Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Like if you, if you walk in my teaching, things will go well for you. And it's every time they step out of that, things don't go well for them. And it's right. not its not simply because it's not like God is, oh, I'm going to punish you for this. It's that God has set up the, the Torah that if you, if you live in such a manner as I have laid out in the Torah, you, are, you will do well for yourself. It's like I t- we tended to have like the Ten Commandments as these rules, but I don't look at them as rules anymore. They're guidelines for a good life. Yeah, they should. Because, right, like life goes well for you if you don't covet things from other people, if you don't steal, if you don't kill, if you don't like blasphemy your neighbor. Like there's, it's just better things flow out if you follow these um, these uh, words of God because bad things don't come from not coveting your neighbor's like wife or house or their car or whatever like you will live a more content life if right. you do not covet those things right and that and then you also are more capable of blessing your neighbor like if i'm coveting my neighbor's things i don't end up blessing them right because i'm jealous of them or because of whatever and they're doing the same thing to me and so then you can't live well among your neighbors because everyone's coveting each other's things um and the lives that they have whereas if you you don't do that it just it sets you up for a blessed life right. you you will be happier if you follow these things i'm not trying to be this god who's dictating things from on high so that i can strike you down like these are for you these are for us as a community because everything works well if we all i said live this way you, right i said before you this day life or death choose yeah. life that you i mean yeah when i do the 10 commandments with middle school so like the student formation confirmation like that kind of thing mm-hmm. I don't call it confirmation, don't call it catechism because aversions to words and whatever. But when we do the Ten Commandments, we sh- I frame it in the Shema, Jesus Creed, Great Commandment, right? Like what's the, the fulfillment of the mm-hmm. law is love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And if you take that and you just smack it on top of the Ten Commandments, you go, wait, the first three are about how we how we interact, what we do with God. 
and then the last seven, or depending on who, you know, because there, there are a few ways to just to divide yeah. these into ten words. But then the last six to seven are about how you treat each other. Um, we, may, we, may, we may need to do the Ten Commandments at some point, but um, I, there's this, I've made this connection with so Sabbath is the central commandment. <laughs> In my opinion, sure, because Sabbath is about it's it's a connection between the the ones about God and the ones about people, because out of the Sabbath, then like that's our connection point with God, sure, and then out of that flows how we treat the rest of humanity, and it's our connection anyway. with each other, yeah. When when we're not commodities, right? So I feel like it's kind of like it's yeah. the pinnacle of the the words, even though it's not directly in the center. I no, think it's the sure. center because one builds to it, and then the others flow out of it. Yep. Anyway, yeah. as a real brief, I no, mean, no, I, I can love go it. into a better explanation, but I'm always game. But we might need <laughs> a whole episode or a few. Okay, so can I go to Genesis? Uh, can you go to Genesis six nine? One of the things we talk uh, while you're looking there, I'll get little little context here. One of the things I was a little concerned about with doing the psalm was um, it's really helpful to have these narratives to step our stories into. Mm-hmm. Here comes the narrative. Yep. <laughs> now we could have done the narrative in other places, but so yeah, so Genesis uh, 6, 9. Do you want me to read it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are the begettings of Noah. Noah was a righteous, wholehearted man in his generation in accord with God did Noah walk. So darn you, Walter. Uh, well, this is, I just read that out of Fox. Oh, that's Fox? Yeah, <laughs> I, I love Fox, but he but he but he doesn't play into my hand. Sorry. No, no. So that word, you can look it and look it up and alter that word. I don't. Uh, I only have the. Oh, you've got the. I only have the writings. Sure. Alter. This is the level of nerd that I am. Like I have an entire book that's bigger than my actual Bible. That's just. I have the other ones on my like, shelf. Yeah, the writings. <laughs> so. Okay, so happier those whose way is blameless is a normal way to translate this that word blameless which is the second word in the hebrew yep. right it's ashray and then it's tamim and so it's noah here is being being described as blameless or complete or perfect what does alter call him or sorry what does fox call him righteous and wholehearted wholehearted is probably what we've got there as being uh, blameless and then if we go to exodus 12:5 what do you do you remember or know what the, uh, the 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 lamb that they're supposed to bring is being described as what? It's blameless. And I, I assume is that Tamim? It's as Tamim. Well? Okay. Yeah, so because, it's blameless yeah. or but there'll be translated as without blemish. Yeah. And then if we fast forward to jo- uh, Joshua ten five, the sun stands still for a for a Tamim day. Hmm. So it's a whole, whole or complete, complete day. And so, and then we, and we live, it sounds we, a lot like Shalom. It sounds a lot like Shalom. It sounds a lot like Telos, uh, perfect or complete or, or right in, in Greek, which it is, uh, you go to Psalm 19 and it's the law of the Lord is, uh, is perfect, mm-hmm. is the law of the Lord, the Torah of Hashem or Adonai is, uh, is Tamim. Hmm. And then, well, we've already done it, but, um, but it's used all over Leviticus yeah. for the for the various things that you bring to God, right? Tamim is is one of the words that describes what our offerings to God should be like. What the, what a good offering, what a right offering, what an appropriate offering is that we bring. Yeah. Noah is described as that offering. Yeah. 
And then if you uh, if you go to uh, Genesis 17, this is the this is the moment where Abram and Sarai get their name changed. They're no longer Abram and Sarai, but they're they'll become uh, Avraham, Abraham, and Sarah. When when Abram was 99, the Lord appeared before him and said, "I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be tamim, be blameless." And I will make a covenant between me and you, and I will make you exceedingly numerous. So this is right the second time the promise is being made. And uh, and then if we move down to verse 5, No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the ancestor or the father of a multitude of nations. And so God here is talking about Abraham being Tamim. So now we've got this first word being uh, Ashrei which is a, a blessing or a joyful life that can be ours through how we respond to all of the good things, the, the baruch, the blessings that God gives us, right? Ashrei is a good response that humans can do to the life before them that can bring more blessing to themselves and those around them. And so that word leads into this idea that we are and I'm just going to jump right to it, we're living sacrifices. Right? Blamelessness doesn't mean you didn't screw up <laughs> yesterday or the day before or the day before. To be blameless or to be perfect or to be complete or to be whole is to offer yourself mm-hmm. in, a, in a, a good way back to God. Right. So for me, I'm thinking Romans 12. Mm-hmm. Present yourself as a, a living sacrifice, sacrifice. whole <laughs> yeah. and acceptable uh, unto God, and that this is our spiritual act of worship. It's interesting because I one possible translation I had found for Tamim was integrity. Sure, yes. And um, just the way that integrity, it doesn't mean you don't mess up. Right. It means you own it when you do. Right. And... So that feels so in line with this type of thinking that you're, you you aren't actually blameless, but by returning and owning what you've done, you are made clean. Like you are, there's a there's a cleansing that happens when right. you offer yourself right um, back when you move forward when you live in right. in that way. Yeah, yeah. Well, so then go to the next word. Yep. So it's not just tamim, but it's it's tamim. Uh, Derek. Yeah, Tamim Derek. Uh, yep. So it's a Tamim way. <laughs> yeah. Derek means road or way or, yeah. And I, Which means you're doing it. You're walking yeah. it, right? It's the Ashray. It's where this is like, you go, oh, this is poetry because the first word can mean joyful, blissful, blessing. Um, but, but that's got this idea of a forward progression, a movement of your life, how your life is happening, that these, right, these two words are together. And then we're also talking about that idea again, that this is a way, this is a road, this is a path that we walk out. Right. Which then, I mean, it cannot help but think I am the way and the truth and the life. Like this is, Jesus is just tapping into all this that already is there. Yeah. Right. I'm showing you. Right. How? You need an example? Well, right. What is, you know, uh, what is, what does Jesus come and do, but walk amongst us? Mm -hmm. And he, I mean, 
he is a tamim mm-hmm. offering. He is a blame, right? Like he, and he walks blamelessly. He right. walks complete. He walks perfect. He walks with integrity, showing us how to walk. Yeah. It's just like, right. And these are, this is three words. Yeah. And these are foundational words to this, you know, this is how the Psalm 119 starts. <laughs> So we move to the next word, yeah. hahuhim. As you can tell, we are like second graders in our Hebrew ability. Right. Um, but we're walking on the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's interesting that, okay, I'm again, not a Hebrew expert. I'm working my way towards a moderate level of intelligence in Hebrew. But there's a the in front of this and it's a verb and so like it's just you don't see that very often the way of them the walk their walk okay we gotta go okay we gotta go to psalm one yeah okay so we're gonna find that we're in the same place because it starts with that same word ash ray happy or blessed is the man who has never walked in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the way of sinners nor sits in the seat of scoffers and then this next part is why i really brought us here um and I'm not, I'm going to keep all the genders as male because the riddle only works when you do that. Sure. Okay. So blessed is the man who walks, not in the counsel of the wicked, stands in the way of sinners, sits in the seat of scoffers, but he delights himself in the law of the Lord and meditates on his law day and night. So the riddle, the, the rabbinic riddle is whose law is it? Whose law is the, is the, is the one uh, who doesn't walk in the counsel of wicked or stand in the way of sinners? who is meditating on it day and night, whose law is it? It's both. Both. It's God's and it's yours, because if you have chosen to meditate on it day and night, it has become a part of you. Exactly. And Right? Yep. So it's God's law that becomes our law or God's way or God's or God's Torah, God's way of life, right? And by way of life, we don't mean just the way you live, but God's way of living alive mm-hmm. becomes our way of living alive as we think on it all day, all night, as we become obsessed with going, God, what's the path to life? What's the way to life? How do we live to meme lives? How do we walk in paths that are life-giving and not deadly to us and to others. And it's all walk language. Yeah. Walk walk language has a rich and deep history in the Torah. Yeah. Which is why it's no surprise that Jesus takes that on. Well, walk in a way that's blameless does not mean don't get mud on your feet. Right. Right? It's something else. Well, if we take the word integrity, if you walk with integrity, again, it does not mean that you never make mistakes. It means you, you own up to it when you do. Like that's a blameless way of living because I, when you own it, when you repent, there's nothing, there's nothing that anyone is holding over you. Right. Because you're like, yeah, I know. I admitted it. (laughs) Like, Like the point is owning it. Yeah. So good. It's ridiculous. I'm just thinking, I'm just, right, I'm just thinking about this. And okay. We're meditating, we're doing what Psalm 1 has asked us to do. We're meditating and chewing on scripture. Like that's what we're, um, like that's the whole point of this book. I'm going to leave this collection of books. I usually like edit some of the silences between things out just to keep it brisk for folks. Not this episode, folks. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes you need it. it. Right. It's, it's happening in real time. Yeah. Uh, and this is one other spot that I think is 
so simple. One of one of my teachers uh, says uh, he asks questions, and then people try to give him these answers that are like super, you know, mind blowing. And and he's he, I heard him once say, "Listen, my questions are far more pedestrian than you think. I'm not looking for breathtaking, uh, brilliant." answers. I'm looking to step through these words at a very methodical and and slow pace so we can see all that there is to see here. So w- one of the ways I'm, you know, like, well, what does Jesus do for three years at least? He walks. Is that That's the a, computer telling us it's time to be done? <laughs> playing the music on us. Uh, he walks around with his disciples. So, okay, so if we put this in real terms, to be a disciple means to follow Jesus. But if you didn't get up that morning and leave camp with him to go to wherever he was going next, to do whatever he was doing next, were you a follower? No. Following was what you would do if you were doing it. You don't, like, and this might feel a little heavy sometimes, but it's like, there's no vacation from following Jesus. You you can't. You can, and you will be welcome, right? Like when, when you finally catch up the next day, you know, someone might talk to you and be like, we missed you, or we were worried about you, or, oh, you missed some stuff. Yeah. Um, but it's not to shame you, uh, right? It's, it's just true. This is what happens when we don't attend to the presence of God in our life every single day. Right. And it's, this is how it works. We walk, we follow after Jesus with our lives. Yeah. And when we don't do it, we didn't do it that day or that moment. Maybe days too big of a, you know, or that week or that year or, or just in that moment. Yeah. I can't help but think of Bilbo Baggins. Bilbo Baggins. Is he in Harry Potter? Just kidding. <laughs> Use the force, Harry, with the picture of John Luke Picard and it's credited <laughs> to Gandalf. Yes. Um, no, just that when the... The night after the dwarves come yes. and he doesn't like, they're like, we're leaving in the morning and he, he sleeps in and he's like, I'm not doing this. And then he sits there and is like, my life no, is so boring. Like, I actually want to go on this journey. And so then he runs to catch up and it, like it wasn't too late for Bilbo just because it took him a little bit longer. He caught up. He caught up He caught and up. he went on the journey and he was welcome to go on the journey. Um, Okay, one more word, and this was this was actually the <laughs> the inspiration to going to Psalm one. It's not just um, blessed or happy or moving forward in life is uh, is the the um, the unblemished, the blameless, the complete, the full offering way uh, of the walkers. <laughs> I'm doing like a, a real time. Uh, second grade translation of it here, uh, but the, the the walkers of the Torah. But it's not just the Torah here. There's a relationship to the Torah that that the Hebrew has us. Yeah, it's in. I will write my law in your heart, or you are temples of the Holy Spirit, or abide in me, and I will abide in you. Right? It's this, well, it becomes your way as you follow it, as you meditate on it, as you walk in it. That's what, that's what Psalm 119 is. That's what this is inviting us into. Yeah. 
What are you thinking? I wish I could like, <laughs> I don't want to do videos, but yeah. I wish, I wish I could <laughs> turn the look on your face into a t-shirt <laughs> or a coffee mug. Please no. <laughs> Chris, I got a new coffee mug for you <laughs> for the ironic blessings <laughs> of life. That was coffee. I just, I mean, in my mind, I'm just like, it's all connected. It's just like Psalm 119 here in the first verse is essentially saying the same thing as Psalm 1, 1 and 2 is saying. It's just, it's put it into a more concise form. Yeah. Just one verse instead of two. And, um, you know, Psalm 1 includes some how not to walk, what not to choose. And this just includes what to choose. Um, but just this, I don't know. I'm... I'm continually both surprised and not surprised <laughs> by um, the way I see the New Testament differently, having become an Old Testament scholar. The more time I spend in the new, in the Old Testament, the better I understand the New. So, I mean, I, I know I've had a lot of people <laughs> who've been like, why do you spend all your time in the Hebrew and and in the Old Testament? I don't spend all my time there. <laughs> Just spend the majority of my time. Sometimes there. you go to bed. Sometimes you sleep. Yeah, sometimes I mean, you I eat, drink coffee and play with your dog. And watch movies. Right. Drive your kids around. Yeah. Yep. Took my daughter to see The Little Mermaid last night. Nice. Or two nights ago, which was phenomenal, by the way. Uh, side note. And I do, I do read the, the New Testament as well. But there's also times where I don't ask. I don't need to. This is going to come out really weird. I don't need to read the New Testament. And it's not that I'm not reading it. It's just that it's it's there already in my head in a lot of ways. Then when you're reading the Old Testament, you just start to see it. You just start to see the connections. Then when I actually go and actually open it up and read it, I often see more because I don't see just what is in my head already. But I'm like, oh, Jesus is doing something here. Or like Paul is playing with some things here. Yeah. Or like Especially um, Paul. Paul is if Paul if you let Paul stand alone. I think that's where you get into a lot of the the troubles that we've bumped into it in evangelicalism. Yeah, um, I, I would I would connect that to deeply and like it's a Paul a primary reading, right? What's the right. Paulianity is how some people have yeah um, described it. I have a I have a I have a healing relationship with Paul that is deeply connected to recognizing Paul is writing midrash. He's he's using the scripture he has because remember he doesn't have Matthew, Mark, right. Luke, and John. Which the he, scripture he has is the Torah. Right. He has the story. Yeah. Right. In First mm-hmm. Corinthians, you hear like the very basis uh, or the very the very like es- essence of like the creed and and that stuff, especially fifteen. So you know he has the story, but he's not reading from the the Mark scroll or the Luke scroll. His buddy, right? Like those things don't exist. So all he has, all anybody had, were Torah scrolls. Right. And what I want to be careful because what we're we're not saying that you can't get to know Jesus without getting to know the Old Testament. But there's so much more when you do. You get a surface level understanding of Jesus when you ignore. We ignore the Old Testament at our own peril. We just don't get as much. Well, I'll say it. Uh, I think you can have an experience of God, Christ, the Spirit of Christ, um, w- without without Scripture. A person is stranded on a desert island; they are not without hope or without possibility. Yeah, and I believe that's the f- foundation of a following Jesus is a mystical or a experiential following. 
um, of him, right? It's not just obedience to a, um, a written down thing in the book, where if we don't have the words, we're in trouble, yeah. right? Jesus is the word, the capital yeah. W word of God. Scripture is the lowercase w word of God. Right. And so, so yes, uh, you, you don't need uh, the Bible to know God. Is it helpful? Absolutely, it's helpful. It's relationships, it's conversations with people who have tried to follow, and I well not tried have have done so and done so you know with mixed results. Um, but it's the photo album of our family story if we opt into this story. And I think when you tr- when if you take it as a whole, if you take scripture as a whole, right? You don't divide between the Old and the New Testament, the Greek and the Hebrew, however you want to do it. You can't understand the Gospels fully. And that doesn't mean I understand it fully. You understand. It doesn't mean the person who's the most well whatever understands it fully, but they decode each other. They're talking to each other. They're each pushing, right? They're a nexus. It's like how the Psalms are. They're in conversation, collaboration, relationship with each other where, oh, um, a living sacrifice is Paul talking in Psalm 119, one terms about life, which is what Jesus is. Jesus is a living sacrifice. He's the without blemish lamb. That right, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin. It just so I think I take a harder. I would say it harder <laughs> than what you said, but but I would also add on top of it that it doesn't depend on your scholarship of Scripture, how well read you are. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm just trying to say that we you get a fuller picture when you engage with all of Scripture. Oh, yeah, one hundred percent. Like you just we you can know Jesus. Without any scripture at all, like you said, we can know him better by reading the Gospels. Right. We yep. can get to know him better by adding on Paul. Right. We can get to, like, just the more pieces you add, the more you know him, right. the more fully. And, like, we can't know him fully this side of heaven. Um, I don't know if we can know him fully the other side either, but I would hope that we could get a more complete understanding. Um, we see him partly, right? That, That's Paul's language. Right. But, but everything that we can there we have so many tools and so many people ignore the old testament because we put this label old which i don't even like so i don't know i'm trying to retrain myself to not use it sure. but i without a doubt have fallen more in love with jesus by reading the old testament yeah he has become richer and truer truer and um more meaningful the more i've engaged with the old testament I think that's what he means when he says, I've come to fulfill the law, which is fulfill the Torah, fulfill the way, is I'm breathing life and filling out all of these words. I'm giving definition to things that have been hinted at and experienced, right? You got to, you take the story of Abram and Sarah and you walk it out and we get a shadow or we get a shape or we get like a connect the dot version of it. And then we have the word becoming embodied, in flesh, becoming incarna, right? Like in, in, in meted that walks around with us and talks to us, uh, or, and, and now it's a different way of like, oh, this is what it, you know, he was hungry. Yeah. He was thirsty. He wept. So now all of these actions are sanctified or they are, they can be sacred. We can weep and we can be in sacred spaces because right. Christ weeps and is, and is in a sacred space. Right. So now our humanity has this Potential is the wrong word, <laughs> but potential or this aspect of it of 
of returning, of restoring this, that we are image bearers of God. And Jesus shows us it because Jesus bears the image of God as a human and says, humans can do this. Right. You can do this. This is what it looks like to walk blamelessly, to walk as a living, unblemished, whole, perfect, integrity, right? Connected human. Right. This is what it looks like to fulfill the Torah. Like right. Jesus said, I did not come to abolish the Torah. Right. I came to fulfill it. Right. Well, so of course it does us well to know and understand what that Torah is. Right. Because that's how we emulate Jesus. By meditating on scripture day and night. And it becomes ours. Uh, and, and so we do. We dedicate an hour to one verse of the Bible. Well, and I would, and I would even just pull yours just back a little bit. And I think you mean this. Um, I, well, okay. Timeout tangent. Last week I said something that I didn't quite mean. I was talking about how um, sin, sin. We we got to stop defining sin as those things that make God angry. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go back and edit it and say sin, things that break God's heart. Yeah. Because. But what I found is so deeply ingrained in me is the language of God being angry that sometimes it just comes out and it's shorthand. And what I mean is the things that break God's heart, but I say anger. Right. So you just said, um, we go back and we, what'd you say? No scripture? There was a thing you'd said. Meditate, chew on. Oh, meditate on scripture. And we should meditate on scripture. But, but I would, but, but I would say meditate on like Oh, right. Sure. Yeah. Right. And that's what we, of, of course, what you, I think you meant, maybe I'll delete this. You'll have to tell me, but it felt to me, it reminded me of like how I've accidentally shorthanded things. Cause the goal isn't becoming good scripture, good readers of, of biblical literature. It's becoming people who have room, who have made room to think on Christ, which is what scripture does for us. If we attend to it the right way. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's, maybe that's too, uh, an unnecessary distinction. <laughs> but maybe why I, I don't know, maybe why I think it's an important distinction is that I know what you mean. I think, I, well, I'm assuming I, I heard you right. Did I hear you right? Yeah, By I think what so. you meant? Okay. Yeah. But sometimes people hear things and they don't know what I mean. And so they think, yeah. I think, like last week I was like, I don't want anybody to hear this and think that I'm saying God's angry with you. When you right. sin, God's angry with you. I don't think that. I think when you sin, you get angry. Mm-hmm. I think when you sin, when I sin, or when we participate in sinful, broken, deathly lives, God's heart is broken and grieved, not angry. Right. Or if it's, or it, redeem anger, but then it's about brokenheartedness. Right. I mean, think about, the word anger isn't always all bad. Like, I mean, when my kids do things that I've asked them not to do, I can be angry that they've done it, but I'm not the anger isn't just because you didn't obey me. Right. It's because oh, I'm trying to I'm trying to help you see the world differently and to interact with like I'm trying to help you become decent human beings as adults. And right. when you continually don't do this thing, it just I feel like I'm failing. <laughs> like I you can end up feeling like you're failing to to right. help guide your children into becoming helpful, productive, and decent human beings right. and as adults. And um, so there isn't, there's an anger that can kind of come along with that, but it's not a like spite you kind of anger. It's more of this like, yeah. I mean, it's more sadness than it is anger, but it comes out as anger. Yeah. And it's and, not at, it's about. Yes. Right. You're, uh, 
at our most Christ-like. Yes. Bearing the image the best. We're, we're angry about the bad things that are existing. They frustrate us. But I think, like you said, anger is just the first as of yet fully realized emotion that leads us to the grief or the brokenheartedness about it. Because that's what's really at yeah. the bottom. And the anger has to do with us doing with our... It's like we, what we were talking about at the beginning, right? The dude cuts you off or is driving 90 and it's unsafe. Your reaction is anger, but what's really, really going on underneath that is that you were afraid and scared yeah. and you had big feelings. And our big feelings want to come out in ways where we go, don't harm me again. And anger is brilliant. Right for doing that. Yeah. And I, there's this added piece to that driving piece once you start teaching your child to Ooh. drive because then you now it's no longer about just me. It's about my kid on the road and other people's kids on the road who aren't good drivers yet who don't react well in like might react really poorly to a car swerving in and out of traffic. Like they make might make the wrong choice that leads to devastating consequences. Like that's so mean, I'm like, if y'all would just, if everyone would just drive nicely and drive in Tamim ways, <laughs> yes, in Tamim ways, <laughs> like <laughs> then everything would be so much safer for everyone, right? And now my, it's not just my safety and my ability to drive, but it's my kids' ability to drive that the future, yes, that you have been entrusted with, right? Who, yeah, and it's just don't steal my the future I've been entrusted with future yeah. and their ability to walk these things out. Yeah. Teaching a kid to drive has made me a different driver. <laughs> Even when my kid's not in the car. I'm a big believer in the bus and bicycles. Yes. Although bicyclists are. But you live where buses come to get yes, you and I absolutely. do not. <laughs> no, you don't. You don't. You will be walking many miles. Yes. I would have to drive or bike to get to a ways to get to a bus. <laughs> uh, all right. Should we... End scene. Yes. Say our toodles. <laughs> say our, say our farewells. Our farewell. Uh, so long. So long. <gasps> Jinx, you owe me a coke. <laughs> <laughs>